Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Five sixty, the Joe Radio Rewind. Running back some of the best you've heard here on Five Sixty over the past twenty-four hours. Where you at? It's Dan Day on a Monday, but. Maybe not the worst Monday. We get to spend it together, and tonight I'm going to watch that Knicks-Nets game. My downstairs neighbor, Joe, he lived in New York City for a long time, so got a little vested interest in that. Go over to Nathan's house, bring some yingling beer. Three of us, we just whoop it up, so see how that goes tonight. Over the next hour, we're going to have a lot of fun, though. Going to check in with the Joe Rose Show. They're talking NFL with Kyle Krabs. Greeny talking to my guy, Sean Payton. A lot going on in New Orleans. Zion Williamson, the new king of New Orleans, now that Drew Brees... No longer playing football, but he's still the king of New Orleans also. And then Hawk and Crowder gets your NBA and Jim VP updates from Brian Geltseiler. Right now, let me give you some updates with the headlines. The Heat beat the Magic for the second time in a week yesterday, 102-97. Butler went 29-9-7. Next up for Miami is the Cavs tomorrow at 8. The Panthers won three in a row over the weekend, downing the Hawks 4-2. The two play again tonight at 7. The Dolphins and Texans have agreed to trade linebacker Shaq Lawson and Benedrick McKinney. The trade is not official until Wednesday. Highly recruited freshman Earl Timberlake will transfer from the Canes men's basketball team. The forward played seven games last season after dealing with injuries. The U's men's baseball team took two of two from Wake Forest this past weekend for their fifth straight win. Yesterday's game was canceled due to Wake not having enough available pitchers. David Beckham has been working out with Inner Miami during their first week of practice. Beckham, of course, will not play, but will remain main president of the team who began their season April 18th against the LA Galaxy. Saints quarterback Drew Brees has officially retired. The Texas native plans to continue to live in New Orleans and will work as a studio analyst for NBC. The NCAA basketball tournament begins Thursday in Indianapolis. Top seeds include Gonzaga, Baylor, Illinois, and Michigan. You know it's Monday. You've earned it. Let's step into the day spa. The Sierra Nevada Brewery in California broke a world record when they catapulted a keg of beer 438 feet. Thanks for wasting beer. A Missouri man reeled in a rare 112-pound black carp. Master Bader. A woman went online to call out her date for only buying her water while they went on a dinner date. Come on, dude. Buy those drinks. It may pay off in the end. A French woman is claiming not only is she in a relationship with a roller coaster, but also has had children with the ride. Mmm, my hot mess of the day. 
Waking up in the morning, you may be a hot mess, but you can get some sanity and get some control in your life by listening to The Joe Rose Show weekdays from 6 to 10 earlier. Got a handle on the NFL with Kyle Krabs talking about the Dolphins' new linebacker and some future moves the team might make and some of the best fit players for Miami. Kyle, good morning. We got an inside linebacker, but we had to give up Shaq Lawson for it. What would you think of that trade with Houston? Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, the swap for Bernardrick McKinney is an interesting one. I think you look at Shaq and obviously signing the three-year $30 million contract that Miami brought him in on last year. And I appreciate the break-even as far as for cap ramification purposes go. And, and I do think when healthy, Bernardrick McKinney plays his position at a higher level than what Shaq Lawson plays his respective position. Shaq just, you can make the argument, plays a more high-impact position. But Miami's been kind of searching to get this inside linebacker thing figured out under the Flores era. It was Raquel McMillan, and he played 46% of the snaps in 2019. And, and last year, Elan and Robertson, granted, he got hurt and missed the end of the season, but he only played 39% of the snaps. So Miami has been looking for a thumper in between the tackles and the run game who they can play more than just 40 to 45% of the snaps. And Bernard McKinney at 260 pounds, he can be that player because he brings you more value on third down. So from that perspective, I really like this addition. Hey, uh, the, the run defense is obviously kind of a priority with everything else. We get talking about so many different areas, people forget that run defense still got to get better. Those numbers still got to get better. Do you see us going out and getting another defensive tackle, or do you think they're pretty happy with the three young guys that they have? I would be happy with the three young guys that you have, but I think you just need bodies to be able to stay fresh, right? So so I think they will find somebody, whether it is Devon Godshaw, who they have the familiarity with, you look across the free agent market for interior defensive linemen this year, and there's a lot of players who can bring similar things to what Devon can, which is really good early down play uh, and short yardage play, but not a guy who's going to make a lot of splash plays in the backfield. You look at tackles for loss and sack production, and none of those things really jump out at Devon Godshaw. So because the market's so oversaturated with those kinds of guys, Devon may find he doesn't have the market that he's hoping for, and if that's the case, you know, I do think Miami does need another rotational guy, and it makes me like to think that they'll have a reasonable chance to re-sign him to be part of the rotation. Devon's not going to get the contract that maybe he was hoping for, but I definitely think they need another body of some kind. Are you uh, more for getting that pass rusher through this free agent group of guys, whether Reddick, Floyd, Lawson, all those kind of guys who would you rather do it in the draft or – you think they might even try to do it with one of their top picks and a veteran guy? The downside to doing it with a free agent signing is that guy's probably going to get paid like really good money. So for the Dolphins, they last offseason prioritized adding defensive players and it, it paid huge dividends for the team. And it just, you would think or you would hope that they would have some resources available to them to make a similar kind of investment on the offensive side of the football. So that's the only reason I'd be leery of targeting one of these free agent edge guys. I think that, that from an economic standpoint, it's a much more attractive option to say, hey, it's a really good pass rusher class as far as the edge group goes. If you've got top 50 picks, we've got four of them in the top 50. But that's a big role then that you're you're putting your expectations on as a player. So you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. I, I think they'll probably sign somebody this week, and, and then it'll give them the flexibility where if the board falls falls favorably to them in April, they can just make that pick and say, hey, we're, we're picking good football players and the best players available. 
Uh, a position that we bring up all the time here on the show, the center position with Ted Karras, is it worth trying to bring him back? Is it worth looking around? Is there someone in the draft they could actually target? Like, that position not talked about a lot, yet very uh, important when it comes to that offensive line. What do you think the Dolphins do there? Yeah, I, I, I've seen reports that they're interested in bringing back Teddy for the right price, and I, I thought Teddy was fine. I thought he, he settled into the starting center role reasonably well enough, and you could do a whole lot worse. And Miami in recent years has, has seen a whole lot worse as far as their center play and then into your offensive line play than what Karras brought. Uh, the question is, Teddy came down to Miami to and took a lesser deal uh, than what he was offered in New England so that he could prove he could be a starting center. And he's done that. So now what is he going to look for from a market perspective? And there's four or five starting caliber centers on the free agent market. So if Ted puts his foot down or Ted believes his value is something that Miami disagrees with, uh, the good news is they'll have other options. But, yeah, this is a really good center group in the draft as well. You look at Landon Dickerson from Alabama, who I think from a size and physicality profile really fits what the Dolphins are trying to build along the offensive line. Uh, he has a, a knee injury and then might not be available for the start of the season. And durability in general is a big question mark for him. And, and the other one is Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma, who's uh, had a great pro day. He's really athletic. He played in the spread system. He's a left-handed snapper. So there's, there's of course, those who will point to Tua Tagovailoa and say, hey, perfect. We got a left-handed center for a left-handed quarterback. What more could you ask for? So both of those guys are going to be probably top 50, top 64 caliber selections in the draft as well. So, again, Miami's going to have options. It's just how do you, how do you want to pigeonhole yourself going into the draft knowing you need to come out with X, Y, and Z? All right. Now, you know we have to have Brian Flores looking at that, uh, that roster for the New England Patriots and their free agents. Which one are we going to grab? G- give me one you like. <laughs> we got to have a Patriot. Come on. I like their two defensive linemen, uh, to be completely honest. Adam Butler is one that, that stands out. N- not maybe the splashiest of signings, but we were just talking about how they'll probably look for another body. I think that's probably the safest bet. If we don't bring back Ted Karras, you know, I wouldn't rule out David Andrews. If Miami's going to say, hey, if Ted wants more money than what we're comfortable signing, we might as well take that and sign David Andrews, who started over Ted Karras in New England for all those years. So uh, I would I would look to the trenches would be my place where I would peg it. Either Adam Butler uh, would be one or David Andrews on the offensive line. You know, it, it was not a, it wasn't a huge deal, but – what do you think of the punting last year? It, it was interesting because it looks like we're going to have a new punter. Uh, what, what, what were your thoughts? I ironically enough thought, or at least for the first two-thirds or three-quarters of the season, that Matt Hawk had his best year punting, and it kind of fell apart on him down the stretch. Yes, it did. Yep. Uh, and that, that's kind of been the book on Hawk, right, is it's been there's such a consistency issue. Uh, in the past, it had been game-to-game and month-to-month, and, and now it was kind of – quarter of the season the quarter of the season so uh, i understand why a team like miami who won football games because of special teams or in large part because of special teams right we, we think about the rams contributions and special teams uh with setting them up on the short field the, the block punt that they had and and jakeem grant with a punt return touchdown this past year so special teams was such a core bit 
of what they did as a team and to not be able to trust your punter to flip the field when you needed them to flip the field, yeah, I'd make a change too. And it's just kind of been year over year that inconsistency has been too much at this point to ignore. All right, so uh, we're, we're looking at free agency. we got the draft going to follow it up here. Um, give me, give me. I just want to hear in your order the top three needs on this football team as we get set. And some of it will be taken care of with Band-Aids and free agency and some will be with all these high picks through the draft. Give them to me. I would look at the wide receiver position is probably the most pressing need. It's not the most high-value position that the Dolphins need, but it's the most pressing need on the roster. I would say the pass rusher, outside pass rusher, is number two. And because of positional value, I will put running back at number three. Now, uh, Miles Gaskin had almost 100 yards of all-purpose yardage per game in, in the games that he played. I think he finished with like 94 yards per game in 10 games or something like that of all-purpose yards. So he's a productive back, and it, it just really seems like from all indications and reports that, that Miami's really going to intently be in, in the running here. So I know some people may hear running backs as top three need and uh, want them to go a different direction with a more high-impact position. But you know, they also ran a lot of their offense, whether it was passing game, screen game, running game through the back that that player if you want to get a featured player if you're the Dolphins that player's going to touch the ball if he stays healthy 250 300 times this, this upcoming season so that's a big chunk of your offense so that's why I put it as a primary need no I'm with you man especially after the deal was just made those, those are three I, I totally agree and I am dying to see what's going to happen especially if uh, if the deal in Houston doesn't happen at quarterback and you use all those draft picks. Uh, I think we, we spread it throughout and hit all three of those areas with uh, three of the top four picks that you're talking about, running back, wide receiver, and, uh, and uh, also uh, pass rusher on the outside. Of all those guys out there right now, if you had to pick a guy, Reddick, Floyd, Lawson, all the different guys. Ngakwe, I don't know if you're a Ngakwe guy or not. Uh, who would you take? Which guy, if you had to take one, whether a guy's been injured and coming off an injury, is a one-hit wonder, had one great year? I'm just curious. Outside linebacker or true defensive end? Just a pass rusher. This question's a bit of a catch-22 because the, the guy who I think fits the Dolphins stylistically the best isn't necessarily the guy, the guy that I would peg to take him for eight. I think Matt Judon of Baltimore really fits from a athletic profile, a style of play. He's Another one of these big six foot five, six foot six, two hundred and seventy pound, really long arms. Uh, he was a plus athlete coming out. Uh, he's not the most bendy, but that that's you know, a lot of people like guys who can just bend and, and win reducing their inside shoulder off the edge. And Miami really hasn't gone after those guys. When you look at Emmanuel Ogba, he's not been that kind of pass rusher. You look at Shaq Lawson and they signed him to ten million dollar deal before they or per season before they traded. He's not that kind of guy either. So uh, if they want a guy fits the M.O. of what they've gone after in the past, I like Matt Judon, and he was really productive in Baltimore's defense as an outside linebacker, hybrid edge player, because uh, they blitz so frequently and, and manufactured some free runs off the edge, and he's a really, really plus run defender. So I take all those variables, and I think that fits the puzzle for Miami. But if it were me, I want the twitch that Carl Lawson can bring off the edge. You know, his, his pressure production and ability to generate heat on opposing quarterbacks is disruptive. And I think as Miami, if they look to assemble a team that's 
capable of catching the Buffalo Bills. I think they need a couple of guys that can win some one-on-ones on the edge in the pass rush so they don't have to send the blitz because Josh Allen has killed them whether they, they drop everybody or they send people in blitz. But if you're going to send six and he's going to break three tackles and still throw, then you might as well just flood coverages against that guy. So that's the big conflict for the Dolphins. And I think some more organic pass rush guys who can win when you send four uh, is a recipe that can help the Dolphins be better against Buffalo. Kyle, what if a certain outside linebacker pass rusher from Denver gets cut, Von Miller, and the money's right? Would he fit in this defense? I think he would fit as far as he's versatile. He could play with his hand in the dirt. We're assuming he's still got plenty left in the tank because he's right. such a gifted player. It would just kind of break all the trends for Miami, right, as, as far as right. what, what they target with age and that it seems to be such a big staple, but – that's inevitably going to be part of the maturation process of this team as it continues to rebuild. You're going to have to, at some point, if you want to contend to win a Super Bowl, get away from signing guys who are coming off their first contracts and going into second contracts and sign a couple guys who are a little bit longer in the tooth because they can help push you over the top. Yeah, we're not looking for any more guys to come down and get some extra vacation money and more (laughs) 401k money. No, we've had those guys. You're right. Kyle, great having you, man. Always appreciate it. Thank you so much. You get up early, too, Thanks man. Thanks for I having like me, that. Guys. Thank you, man. Yep. Hey, it's draft season. The grind never stops. <laughs> the grind That's never right. stops. Joe Rose, that guy, he is just as fun off the air as he is on the air. Be sure to tune in and hear all of his perspective on all sports, not just football, not just catching Dan Marino's first touchdown pass as a Dolphin. You know, stuff like that. Greeny, he knows everybody. It came down between two teams, Miami and us, and in you know, I think he felt more comfortable or more confident that obviously the commitment we were making both financially and, and as well. The coach, Sean Payton, talking with the Greeny next here on 560 The Joe Radio Rewind. 560 The Joe Radio Rewind, running back some of the best you've heard here on 560 over the past 24 hours. How do you do? I am Dan Day. Kind of a bittersweet weekend for me. The Pelicans did win. Zion Williamson is the real deal. But Drew Brees retired. So the King of New Orleans abdicating his throne to Zion Williamson. So Greeny right now touching base with Sean Payton, coach of the Saints, talking about uh, memories of signing and coaching Drew Brees and Saints plan going forward. Breaking news right now. ESPN's Adam Schefter is reporting. 15 years to the date when he signed with New Orleans Saints, Drew Brees is announcing his retirement. One of the greatest of all time. A little question of that. A greenie as we continue here, and we are delighted to welcome in the man who was the coach with, uh, with Drew in New Orleans all of those years and had all of that success together. Sean Payton is with me here on ESPN Radio. Sean, thanks a million for doing this. How are you today? I'm doing good, Mike. How are you? Well, I'm terrific. And I want, before we look at anything that has happened recently, let's go all the way back and let's make sure that we paint an appropriate picture of where it began. So it's 2006. We're a year removed from the the tragedies of Hurricane Katrina. A new coach and a new quarterback come to New Orleans for a fresh beginning. What do you remember about that? Yeah, look, it's pretty clear still, uh, and it doesn't seem that long ago, but I I'd gotten here, uh, oh, probably January 06, and right away began filling out the staff, looking closely at the current roster, and then evaluating the, the quarterbacks in that year's draft were, you know, it was Cutler, uh, Young, Liner, and it was the Reggie Bush draft. We were at the Combine, and I can remember it was the day the offensive linemen were working out when, when we had heard that San Diego had, had released Drew. 
Um, we knew he, he had a significant injury. You know, we began doing our research at that point. It came down between two teams, Miami and us, and in you know, I think he felt more comfortable or more confident that obviously the commitment we were making both financially and, and as well, you know, at that time, there was so much still going on relative to Katrina that, you know, we're, we're trying to put our best foot forward and, and celebrate any type of signing, any type of, and, and that's the significance of him, the significance of him signing obviously was uh, forever going to change the organization. And then shortly thereafter, we used the second pick of the draft with Reggie Bush. We had a real good draft that year. It was Bush. It was Roman Harper, Jari Evans, Colston Street. That was as clear today as it, it, looking back on it. And I, I can recall even when Mickey and I flew up to pick up Drew and his wife, they were in Birmingham rehabbing with with Dr. Andrews, and he was still in a sling. And to some degree, we, we were betting on the, the makeup that we knew he was going to you know, work his tail off. There had not been a quarterback have this injury. There, there was no really study of someone who had this injury and then later played. But uh, it began it began in 06. And, and the rest is history. I mean, literally, that's an overused phrase. But in this case, it really is appropriate. Let's focus first on the football piece of it. When did you start to realize that the chemistry was there? Because it's one thing to be a great coach, and you are. It's another thing to be a great quarterback, and he is. But in order to have accomplished what the two of you did, there has to be more than that. There has to just be some connection and chemistry that worked. How did you first start to realize that you had that with him? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, you know, that first offseason back then, we were having 40 offseason days, you know, um, of weightlifting, running. And, and, and so the offseason program started earlier. You had mini camps and OTAs. Um, both he and Deuce, Deuce was injured from the year before. In Drew's case, he was able to go through the drills, but not throw. And so he was in the huddle taking a snap. I think right away you saw his leadership and in there, there were so many people that were new, you know, we were all, it was like an upstart, you know, a company that was just getting underway. Um, then we got into training camp and he was still at that time on a, uh, a very strict 20 to 30 passes a day. Um, Pete Carmichael, who's now our offensive coordinator, Pete was with Drew in San Diego, and there was a little bit of a coincidence. I had hired Pete long before Drew was available, and Pete was the quarterback coach that, that season for us. So during training camp, when we were watching his progress and recovery from injury, oftentimes I'd look at Pete and say, Pete, is, you know, is he close? Is that it? You know, Pete was the only reference point to being on the field and knowing what it looked like when it was 100%. Drew will remember this. I know Pete does. I do. We played the, you know, our, our preseason games were all on the road that year because the, the Superdome was still being renovated. And we played the Colts in Jackson, I believe. And um, in that game, I, I can't recall if we won or lost the game. It was, I think, the third preseason game. And he had an interception maybe or two. I can't remember. But there were two passes he threw were significantly different for him, the way his shoulder felt, the way, you know, he got on top of the ball. And I remember him after the game saying, Coach, it's going to be fine. You know, tonight something happened, and I, and I totally felt like uh, it was back to the way it's supposed to feel. And that was encouraging. But, you know, he's such an optimistic person. One of the, one of the great traits when you really watch him, if you tune into a game and it just goes to – the offense or him in the huddle or breaking the huddle, you would never be able to tell if we were ahead 10, down 10, ahead 20 or down 20. You know, it's kind of the same, but that was a night I think he would earmark as 
getting over the, you know, and, and this was late in the preseason. And then week one, we played at Cleveland. We won that game. He made a throw at Green Bay in week two where I thought, man, there it is. And that I think it, the significance of his injury and the recovery, it was still getting stronger throughout the course of that 06 season. But right away, Mike, to answer your question, there's, there's just something, I, and I can't put my hand on one specific thing, but he became an extension of what we were trying to do as a, as a coaching staff. He, he, he was just such a competitor relative to how he approached everything, you know, the way he ate, the sleeping, the working out, the training, you know, it, it, it was just completely on, on another level and you couldn't help but follow the players and then coaches as well. You know, the, there is this back and forth where you feel like, hey, we, we've got to have the best plan in place this week. Slowly that offense began to grow and, and the team began to grow in that first year. Uh, you know, he led us to the NFC Championship game. So early in that season, I think we started off 3-0, and but you, you saw all the traits you were looking for. The only question was really the health of the shoulder, and that was answered very early in the regular season. 3-0 is exactly right. The first two on the road, and then the third game is the legendary Monday night game at home, the Steve Gleason game against Atlanta, and that was really, I think for the rest of the world, that was the beginning, the beginning of this era of Saints football. Sean Payton is with me. To me, Sean, it feels like there's really two stories here. That There's the football story, which is an incredibly important one, especially for those of us who love football. But then there is what he meant to that city. And when you take into account, again, 2005, Hurricane Katrina, the Saints didn't even play at home. The city's devastated. And, and now the life and the light that that brings and what he has continued to do and be and mean for people who don't live there and, and don't see it regularly. I mean, how would you put into words what Drew Brees over 15 years has meant to the city of New Orleans? Yeah, I, I think um, there, there's there's so many words that come to mind. You know, the, the commitment, dedication to the city itself, um, hope, recovery, all of those things, and just the consistency he and his wife and his family have brought relative to not only his ability on the field or his work on the field, but their efforts off the field. Um, for, for everyone that started in that early 06 season, new coaches, new players, uh, nobody knew really what we were getting into. And, and I mean that, you, you know, you knew you were coming in you, in a very short period of time. We had to turn things around. You know, I can recall Parcells saying, hey, you, you've got, you know, a short window or, there, or there'll be another press conference with another coach in a Navy blue jacket, you know, being announced as the head coach so quickly. And, and for me, and, and I, and I really mean, you know, that opportunity that we took a chance to some degree because of his injury, but uh, none of, none of this would have ever happened had, had we not been able to sign him at the time. And, you know, we were, we were actually looking at the draft class, believe it or not, Josh McCown was on a flight, Hmm. connecting, I want to say, in Charlotte when Drew had called that morning and said, hey, I'm coming to New Orleans. I remember we were able to get in touch with Josh. He just turned around and took the flight back and, and didn't connect into New Orleans. He, he, was, he was who we were going to go with in the early start uh, of 06. And, and, you know, so many things can happen to determine, you know, when these, when these new – teams are hiring or the new coaches are coming into the league. Sometimes they need some, you need some good fortune. And, and certainly we, we, and I was blessed with that right away. And from a standpoint of the city, I, I mean, it's, it's just, it's an area in a region that you're so much closer to 
the people. They're, they're not all these gated neighborhoods or places to go. You, you really live amongst everyone. Um, the Mannings still live in the same house that they've had for years. And, and I just think, uh, you know, they, they were, they have been very, very visible and, and huge contributors to the rebuild and, and to the, the fabric of this city. Mike uh, Greeny and Sean Payton is with me here, and I appreciate so much all of this time. I, I, one more I'd be remiss if I just didn't ask you. You know, this doesn't come as a surprise, obviously. It, it was widely expected, and I'm sure you've been well aware yep. of this for a while now. So what is the plan now? You have a really, really good football team, and you got some questions to answer a quarterback. In your mind, what is the plan going forward at the position? Yeah, good question. So Taysom Hill's under contract with us. We're going to go out. Uh, and, and look to sign another player. Jameis Winston is, is a guy that we're familiar with because we had him last year, and it was an opportunity for not only us to quickly get familiar with him, but, but vice versa, him to be able to see what we do offensively and how we do it. So really, that, that's the plan for us. You know, we, we feel like both of those players, uh, having been here on the roster a year ago, really for the last two or three seasons, you know, a few years back, it was Teddy Bridgewater and, and Taysom and Drew. And then this past season, um, Jameis, Taysom and Drew, we, we've been fortunate to have a real good room. Uh, and so I, I, I feel like uh, our, our, our goal right now is, is finding a way to get you know Jameis under contract, and uh, that process all begins here and, and has begun. Very exciting and a little nerve-wracking times to be a Saints and Dolphins fan, I will admit that, but hey, Trust Sean Payton. Trust Brian Flores. Trust. Trust. We're going to hear from Hawk and Crowder. The MVP award in the NBA is a full season award. Trust. Brian Geltseiler is going to get you up to date on everything Heat and NBA next here on 560 The Joe Radio Rewind. 560 The Joe Radio Rewind. Running back some of the best you've heard here on 560 over the past 24 hours. How you doing? I am Dan Day on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Dan Day Radio. Please give me a follow. I'll make it worth your while. Always worth your while with Hawk and Crowder weekdays from 2 to 6. Hawk is off this week. No worries. Solana's sitting in with Crowder. And right now, they're getting you up to date on the heat with Brian Geltseiler talking about that Jim VP wagon and some of the moves the team might be making. Brian Geltseiler, he is the Hoops Critic. He's a host on Sirius XM NBA Radio. You can follow him on Twitter at Hoops critic and Gelsey we're calling it Jim VP Jimmy Butler for MVP are you jumping on the Jim VP bandwagon with us Gelsey nope not quite there yet gentlemen let's remember one thing about the MVP award in the NBA the MVP award in the NBA is a full season award so yes we can have guys that have tremendous stretches we can have guys like Jimmy Butler that are carrying their team from the depths of the standings towards the top of the conference right now. However, that doesn't necessarily qualify them to win the MVP. With all that said, there actually may be an exception to that rule this year with the way MVP is falling, and the exception to that rule is not Jimmy Butler. The exception to that rule could very well be James Harden and what he has meant to the Brooklyn Nets since that trade, what they have done since that trade, and now the run that they have been on in the absence of Kevin Durant with Harden leading the way. So if we're going to give it to a guy this year who certainly has not carried his team the entire year um, and for a period of time wasn't, in Harden's case, wasn't with the team. Butler wasn't playing for a period of time as well. But if we're going to give it to somebody that did that, right now James Harden certainly has a leg up on Jimmy Butler. And, Gelsey, speaking of Jimmy, 
like does we love him down here and we we use the phrase he fills the stat sheet because he'll have steals he'll have blocks he'll you know he'll give you eight rebounds 22 points you know six seven assists like we see him do everything for the team but is is he respected around the league like the guys those top tier guys the the dame lillers the lebrons those top guys do people look at jimmy that way yes and 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 I, i will say this though Crowder, I think it's relatively new that people look at Jimmy that way. I think it's part of the chip that Jimmy has on his shoulder that he went many years in the league feeling he was that kind of player and was not viewed as that kind of player, first in Chicago and then most notably in Minnesota. In Minnesota, I mean, he, you know, Jimmy, think about having Jimmy Butler in Minnesota. Wiggins got the most they could give Wiggins for a second contract. Towns got the most they could give Towns for a second contract. And they offered Jimmy a four-year, $100 million deal, less than what both Wiggins and Towns were making. For Jimmy, that was a big slap in the face and a big insult because Jimmy feels as though he is that kind of top-tier player. And I think when he's gotten to Miami here, he's used that as motivation to be that kind of guy. And he knew he had the right organization and the right franchise and the word we use all the time that applies to the heat, the right culture, to be able to flex his muscles in that organization in the way that he's comfortable doing to try to lift other guys. And let's face it, it's worked out great. But but I think he is respected there. I think but what he did last season in willing the Miami Heat to an NBA final and to taking the Lakers and LeBron James and Anthony Davis to six games is what put him in that category. And, and listen, I know that he would have liked to have been involved in the All-Star game this year and, and, and gotten that notoriety. But again, he didn't play a lot early in the year, and that just wasn't going to happen. But nonetheless, Butler is considered um, a, a top-tier player in the category with the guys that I mentioned. Geltsy, the Heat now... I think since the last time we talked to you, uh, are playing obviously much better. Number four in the Eastern Conference. They've won 14 out of their last 18. There was plenty of talk about the Heat's bubble run being a fluke. And I know you told us several times, Gelsey, you thought that was nonsense. That there's no such thing as a fluke uh, when a team gets to the NBA Finals. Uh, but those those talks were amplified when the Heat were out of the playoff picture. That's not something we're hearing anymore, right? Like... Now that the team is healthy, Jimmy Butler is winning the fourth quarter again, like those talks, uh, it, that's not something we hear anymore about the Miami Heat. So, Anna, it was silly then. It's even sillier now. And, <laughs> and this is because when you want to talk about a team being a fluke, did the Heat like scrape? Did I miss something, you know, this past fall? where the Heat scraped by the Eastern Conference by the skin of their teeth? Because it didn't look like that to me. What it looked like to me was a team that dominated the conference and lost three games. It went 12-3 and against the best the Eastern Conference had to offer to get to an NBA final. There's nothing fluky about that. And and listen, I, I will say this about this year's team. It's lesser for not having Jay Crowder on it. Jay Crowder was a very big part of what they did. And the attempts they've made to replace him um, have failed miserably. Harkless was a guy I liked that they brought in. He is not the, he's been hurt a bunch and hasn't done much. Avery Bradley is a guy that he's on the floor. I like him, but once again, it rears its ugly head, him and injuries not being on the floor. So, the Heat definitely are lesser for not having Crowder, and I do think they're going to make some kind of deal at the deadline here to try to shore this up. They have the expiring deals to be able to get something done. But nonetheless, you know, they are the Heat belong being a top four team in the conference, and and I think where you see them right now is kind of where they're going to be. Now, do I think they can ascend to number one in the conference and and potentially catch Philadelphia, or I think Brooklyn's eventually, it's a matter of time before Brooklyn overtakes Philadelphia for number one in the conference. I don't think they're going to be that 
that, but they certainly belong in with the upper echelon teams of the conference as opposed to the second-tier teams. That That's absolutely obvious. And last year was in no way, shape, or form any kind of fluke. I mean, the, the bubble environment played well to Miami's strengths, but you don't but this is but you don't do what they did in the dominant fashion. They did it and be a fluke. And Gelsey, to your point, like they they won the East last year. So I don't know if this question's quite you know this question's crazy, but are they too small? Like I, I teams can beat them up, it seems like. If they just want to go out and whoop their ass, it seems like they don't have they don't really have that size. Kelly O'Lennox's not really a center. Myers Leonard, we we won't even get into his story, but he's probably gone anyway. Are the Heat big enough? Yeah, and listen, Myers Leonard was out for the year anyway, and I'll tell you this about Myers Leonard. Not only will you not see him ever play a game again for the Miami Heat, I don't know if you'll ever see him play in the NBA again. Because it's, you know, just as an aside, you know, comments of that nature and the way that it was said and then the, uh, the general casualness of how it was said would make, you know, Myers Leonard is not good enough to overcome that. So I don't know that we'll ever see him playing in the league again. But, but Crowder, there's not a stupid question at all. That's a great question. Because the reality is where the Heat have a problem coming into this year's Eastern Conference playoffs in lack of of, of lineup versatility where they really can't go big with enough quality players and it's funny people think i'm crazy when i keep saying this but i think miami has a chance to maybe steal andre drummond and i think if they did that and bam would spend some time at four and you could play the two of them together they're certainly both athletic enough to switch on to other guys perimeter players miami doesn't need to switch all the time that's the other part of this they they are well versed in playing some help and recover defense if that's what it requires you can certainly build zones around bam and andre drum and miami you know miami can do it a lot of different ways defensively and they're comfortable playing zones i would tell you this drummond in a contract year if they can get him on the cheap and all you're hearing about drummond is buyout talk buyout talk somebody's going to make a deal for Andre Drummond and you're not going to have to give a lot to do it but but it's at a point where the Cavs are going to have to save face and get something for him that's a wonderful player for the Miami Heat because they can now have that versatility to play big and play small because here's one thing I will tell you and this is the only thing that scares me for the Brooklyn Nets in going to an NBA final and it applies to the Heat as well and to a lesser extent it applies to the Bucks. But you gotta, you're going to have to go through Joel Embiid. And you, nobody's going to stop Joel Embiid. You're not going to shut him down. And he very well will come out, and he'll light you up for 26, 28, 30, 32. But what you can't have Joel Embiid do to you is light you up for 40 and 42 and put those kinds of numbers up against him. You have to have a big body that can at least make life a little bit difficult for him in some spots. Listen, Embiid's own Drummond throughout the, the, both of their careers matchup-wise, but Drummond is physically he has the physical makeup to make things a little bit tougher on Joel Embiid. And to me, if the, if the Heat could do something to get him, and again, because of the expiring deals, because Leonard's got a team option for next year, so for all intents and purposes, that's an expiring deal. There's a small partial guarantee on Iguodala next year. That, that's, for all intents and purposes, an expiring deal. Olenek is an expiring deal. They can take back the salary and figure it out and, and, and probably get it done for a second-round pick or two second-round picks and not have to take anything from their treasure chest of assets. So I, I, think, I, don't, I don't think it's a very, very good question, Crowder. And to me, I would keep an eye on Miami and Drummond. I think Drummond's a very interesting player for the Heat. The Heat certainly do look like they are coming around. Let's go Heat. Let's go Heat. Let's go Heat. Just keep winning, baby. Keep winning. Keep Jimmy Butler on the court, too. I'm on that Jim VP wagon. Jim VP. Jim VP. Wouldn't that be awesome if it wasn't COVID and we could fill up the American Airlines Arena and start chanting, Jim VP. Jim VP. Let's relive some of the glory from that win over Orlando the other night. This is what I like to call one hot minute. Let's get down, let's get down to business. 
Tyler. He'll drive, kick it back out. Kelly left wide open, a long three. Got it, he'll go. Kelly Olenek, second tray of the evening. The Magic back with a Duncan Robinson. Another three. Three threes in a row by Miami. Two from Robinson, one from Tyler Dragic. Throws it back up top to Robinson, now to Butler. Butler, he'll size up the big man, go up with a layup, and got it to go. Jimmy Butler got right around Vucevic. He's now got 19. Let's get down, let's get down business. Randall for the Magic front court. Ross knocked out of his hands. Free one, Jimmy Butler down the floor. Two-hand jam, Miami's back on top by one. 90-89, Butler now with 25. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Out to Kelly, up top. Tyler straight on for three. Got it to go. Tyler gives Miami a four-point lead with 2.18 left to go. Back up top, deflected. Jimmy Butler on the steal. Butler goes in, layup, and got it to go with four seconds left. And the Heat leading now 102-97. Some good defense by Miami. And Jimmy Butler's fifth steal of the ball game. Gives Miami a five-point lead with 4.3 left to go. The final score, Miami 102 and Orlando 97. Yeah, let's get down to business. I'm getting down to business. I'm going to quickly, hopefully, and inexpensively uh, get my taxes done. Then I'm watching that Knicks-Nets game with my neighbors, drinking some yingling beer, and just enjoying life. It's Monday. Life is short. What are you going to do? I'm going to be back tomorrow, though. It's not going to get too crazy, I hope. So I can be here with you right here, 6 o'clock, for 560 The Joe Radio Rewind. Later, slug. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.